Let's, let's pray and we'll begin. Father in heaven, thank you for this time once again that we have to study the word and see its riches. I pray that you would apply it to our hearts appropriately and so that we will be changed by it uh, through your spirit. I pray that you give me the words that I need to say and the way that I need to say them. And may it all be edifying to all of us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 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 I'm going to begin, as I told you, I'm going through basically the same passages, drawing different things out of the same passages. I'm going to, I'm only going to read the Romans 3 passage once again to you, from Romans 3, beginning in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, to whom whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, to to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He passed over former sins, it was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. I just can't please him. I just can't please her. Why does it matter? Why are you so frustrated, sad, or hurt about it that you can't please someone? Why is it that to believe our lives matter? We need certain people to approve of us. We have have the need to be approved. To know that we are in the right by those we respect or who have some real or perceived authority over us. There is a hunger. The satisfaction of which gives us a sense of meaning, purpose. If we are in the right with those with whom we respect or, and or those in authority over us, we can be at rest, we can be happy. If we're not in the right, we're troubled, we're sad, possibly even angry, very frustrated. Everyone, to put it another way, everyone wants to be justified. Everybody wants to be justified. Everybody desires to be in the right. Everybody desires to be righteous. It is one of the realities that tells me my life has meaning, that I have been approved. Many times we choose the wrong judges, but we are all seeking the same thing. Of course, in terms of ultimate realities, objective reality, it matters who your judge is and whether or not his or her judgment counts for anything. That is, what bearing does his or her judgment have on my life after death, for instance. So the judges whose judgment we believe are vital. Everyone is seeking a sense of approval. That's the subjective part. Alright? We're going to dig into why this is. Where does all this come from? And why does it have such an effect upon me and my actions? Why is it? Why is what matters in my life tied up with having to be justified, with having to be approved? Let's go back to Genesis 3. I'm just going to call on your memory here. And just remember how I'm talking about how all this relates to living a life that matters. These three gifts define who we are and thus our vocation and our pursuits in life. We hunger for them. 
And the drive for them directs us to, in what we believe is our purpose. Attainment of these makes life meaningful both objectively and subjectively. And so I want to answer some questions, once again, following the same basic pattern. What is righteousness? How does sin distort righteousness? How does Christ provide righteousness? And how do we mature in righteousness so as to live lives that truly matter as men and as women? See, God's grace not only gifted us with glory and creation, but He also gifted us with righteousness, a right standing with God, an approval from the beginning. Man was created righteous. He was in the right with God. And He was given instruction in what it would mean to maintain that righteous status. You shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis 2.17. Man was created and approved by God. At the end of the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, we hear that God saw all that He made, and behold, it was very good. Man is, of course, included in this. That language of seeing is the language of judgment. The eyes in Scripture are instruments of judgment. When God sees, He's judging. God judged all that He had made. And behold, it was very good. Now, good includes being morally upright, and it includes being beautiful. God may, good means that man is righteous before God, because God can't declare unrighteousness good. Right? So from the beginning, man had God's, appro- God's approval. God approved of man. To remain in a state, man would need to continue to look to God in faith, trusting His Word, remaining patient where God demanded patience, being obedient to what God commanded, simply put, man would have to continue in faith. He would have to be faithful. Man would need to remain loyal to God. As man did this, the implicit promise was that man would remain righteous. He would remain in right standing with God, approved of God. Man being created in the image of a righteous God and in relationship with God has a fundamental need for approval. You desire to be declared Good. It's built into you. You're created for this. You're created in relationship, and you need to know that you're in right relationship. When relationships aren't right, when you aren't approved, you're upset. Things happen. He's, man is created and approved by God, and he, he wants that in all of his relationships. This is a fundamental need we have as humans. We need to know that we're in the right. So this is how we're created, but it's not the way things remain. Sin enters the picture. Sin perverts and distorts. It doesn't create something new, as we've talked about. It twists our God-given desires. It twists our God-given hungers and our pursuits of them. We still need and desire approval. That has not changed. That does not go away with sin. It's twisted. It's perverted. We always want to be declared righteous. We can't escape it because this is the way we're created. But our pursuit gets all distorted. Sin transforms all of God's good gifts. As we saw with glory, glory becomes shame. Righteousness becomes guilt. My need for approval becomes guilt because I lack approval. We want to be approved, but we know that we aren't. We stand guilty before God and we know it. There's an objective reality to this. We are guilty. We stand as guilty. 
And that object of reality works out into our embodied existence in feeling guilty. Okay, sometimes there are false feelings of guilt, and we need to we can examine that. But the reality is, we, we think, or, or we, when we are guilty, we begin to feel guilty. So sin not only makes us guilty and causes us to feel guilty, but then in this guilt, we pursue righteousness apart from God's provision. We want to find a way to be justified, but we don't want to go to God for it. Your creation in God's image creates a hunger for righteousness, but sin drives you to seek to fulfill this right, to fulfill this need in trash cans and desert places, places that you will feed on trash or nothing at all, leaving you destitute and hungry. This seeking of justification or approval outside of God's judgment or self-justifying began with the first sin. God asked Adam, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Genesis 3, 11 and 12. What is Adam doing? He doesn't own his responsibility. He justifies himself before God. He scapegoats his wife, of whom he was just a few hours ago waxing poetic in his love. She's to be blamed, which means Adam is pushing her forward to be destroyed. She deserves to be punished. She deserves to be destroyed. But that is not as deep as the self-justification goes. Adam backhandedly blames God himself. The woman whom you gave to be with me. It is as if Adam is standing across the courtroom from God himself saying, I am righteous. I am just. And you are in the wrong. You did this to me. Man will pursue righteousness. He will seek to be approved. It's one of those aspects of our being created in God's image that defines our lives. It gives us meaning and purpose. It makes our lives matter and we have to have it. So in sin, man will pursue righteousness apart from God's provision and in his hatred of God, which is the root of sin, man will seek to stand on his own righteousness over against God's righteousness. In other words, man will try to justify himself and find the declaration of righteous from anything or anyone outside of the declaration of God. So the sinner will not agree with God or anyone who stands in his place that he is not in the right. Man will zealously pursue righteousness, but he will do it on his own terms. Many of our sins can be traced to the pursuit of righteousness apart from God's approval. God's way is to grant his approval, just like with glory, in his time, according to his standards, and in his way. But man seeks out his own devices, trying to seize righteousness in his own time and in his own terms. So God originally granted man righteousness, but man, but sin, uh, but in sin man incurred guilt, and he's no longer approved by God. Nevertheless, again, the pursuit of righteousness is still a part of us. So we're created in this unbreakable relationship with God, and we need His approval, approval that we now seek in other places, searching after other gods to tell us that we are righteous. We are. We desire to be approved to assuage our guilt and validate ourselves. And so, when we do something wrong, we will not hesitate to shirk responsibility and blame someone else for what we did in self-justification. Now, many of you come from big families. How many of you 
have ever blamed a sibling for what you did. Okay, I thought so. And the rest of you are lying. Because <laughs> it, it just happens. Yeah, I did it, but it wasn't my fault. Okay? I'm going to justify myself. I must justify myself. Like Adam, we will go as far as to blame God for what we have done to relieve ourselves of guilt. So when something happens, maybe even as a consequence of our own actions, do we angrily say, why did God let this happen? We'll blame Him as if we're the ones who are righteous and He's the unrighteous one. Again, we long for approval, for our guilt to be removed. We desire to measure up in the eyes of God or an idol that we put in His place. Now, just some, like some cultural commentary here. But uh, with understanding of the theological basis, we will, we will find ways to justify our actions and to pacify our conscience. And one of these idols is community. All right? We will find people who agree with us, who will say, yeah, I can't believe he did that to you. Yeah, you're right and those other people are wrong. People must feel approved in their sin. That is why they try to entice others to join them. And they will, they will even call themselves a community. Community gives me a sense of belonging. It gives me a place where I'm approved by others and my life matters. I need community. I'm, a, I'm created in the image of a relational God and so I need others. And in that need for others, I need their approval. Among all the things that a, that a community is, a community is a place where people share a common and what they deem to be a legitimate culture. Uh, and so to communitize yourself is to make it possible to alleviate guilt. Okay? Because in a culture you have judges. You have laws, you have mores, you have standards, you have all these things in, in your in your pack of friends or in your community you have all these things and one of the things that that does is gives you that sense of approval that you need and so you have all these judges around you affirming you and your choices strengthening you to continue on in the in the righteous standards of the community to tell you what matters and what doesn't this is what happens in the various communities, quote-unquote, created around particular sins. The LGBTQ community, the feminism, the, the feminist community, the white supremacist community, the mob, doesn't matter. All, all these types of communities that are built around sin. They build these communities for one of the reasons they do it is to alleviate guilt, to justify themselves. This is a perversion, of course, of what God created us to be. We are to be in community. We are the church where God's standards are held to be the standards for life, where people are approved or disapproved by those standards. They are included or excluded by those standards. They are, they are righteous or they are unrighteous by that culture that God has created in Christ and by His Spirit. We are called in places such as Hebrews 3 to encourage one another to true righteousness and to avoid sin. So the church is to be filled with faithful judges who affirm righteousness and condemn wickedness. And we need community, like what we're doing here at this retreat. We need community to know 
that the way we're going is right. That I am approved. I have to have the approval of others in order to be encouraged to continue on. Validation, vindication, justification energizes us. Knowing that we have approval and therefore a cause, then we can take action. Guilt, both actual and emotional, paralyzes us from doing what, we're, what we were created to do. Always being focused and working on how to alleviate guilt and never working on the creation around us. So, Adam was called to tend and keep the garden. But when God came looking for him, where was he? He was hiding. He was paralyzed by fear, shame, and guilt. Guilt makes you impotent. Powerless to do anything worth doing. Relating and taking dominion as you were created to do. If you're filled with guilt, you will not act. At least you will not act in the proper way. You're afraid that what you do won't be approved. You'll think, I'll never measure up, so why try anything? I'm not good enough, I never will be. Guilt paralyzes you. The simple pursuit of the alleviation of guilt empowers people to act, though, when they communitize themselves. They, they create these communities in order to be justified. I want you to understand the culture around you. Okay. They create these communities in order to justify themselves and to act. Notice it's a complete distortion of God's original commands in our design. Approval means that they have purpose, and that purpose involves evangelism of some sort so that other inferior cultures, as they deem them, cultures that oppose them, will either submit or be destroyed. Justification motivates toward mission. So the subjugation, not the alleviation of guilt, enables them to act, to fight for what they believe is just, is righteous. What happens, which just happens to be not only tolerance for their sin, but full-blown approval, which must eventually destroy rival communities, such as biblical marriage. It is not enough to accept civil unions of homosexuals. Marriage must be redefined. It must be destroyed. This is why. As long as it stands, as long as God's standard stands, they're not approved. And they know it. Think about the attacks on the Christian baker that's happened over the past several years. Why not just go to another baker to get your homosexual wedding cake? Because that's not good enough. Mere tolerance is not enough. They have to be justified. They have to alleviate every judge that condemns. They must be justified by everyone, and if you don't, you must be eliminated in some form or another. Christians believe this too. We're here for world domination. We're here to el eliminate all the inferior cultures. This is a perversion of the Christian mission. So, as disparate individuals, they don't, act, they don't generally act this way. When they become a community, they militarize, seeking to eliminate all threats to the culture they want to build, threats being those who question the laws or mores of their community. 
And so the alleviation of guilt, to whatever degree, motivates and invigorates to action, whether proper or improper. So we are fallen. We are sinners. As much as we try to alleviate or at least bury the guilt through self-justification in all of its forms, it can't be done. That's one, that's one reason people keep fighting. It keeps creeping up in our minds. What we, need to, what we need is to know that we are approved by a judge whose judgment matters. Whose judgment tells me that I am accepted by an ultimate authority, that my sins are forgiven, that I stand as righteous, that I am not guilty. And God has provided that way in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we are righteous. Paul tells us that in Christ, we are justified. We are proved by God, which means that He has dealt with the reality of our guilt and looks upon us and He, he sees us and He declares us good. Yes, we really were guilty. God has already dealt with it. It is not a matter, first of all, of my feelings. It is a matter, it is not a matter of the subjective, it is a matter of the objective. It is a matter of what God has done in Christ Jesus. My feelings need to get in line with what God has said about me in Christ. He has declared me forgiven and not guilty. And my feelings getting in line with what God has said about me is nothing more than faith. It is believing what God has said. You don't have to seek the approval of the wrong people. You have the approval of God that is affirmed to you through His Word in the midst of His faithful church. And that is all that you need. And because of this, you are free from being paralyzed by the need for approval from the cultural gods, from the cultural judges. Something that keeps you from doing what you're supposed to be doing. So you can boldly go out and work because as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, your works are already accepted by God. Ecclesiastes 9.7 As freed from guilt through Christ, we the church can take action that is not defensive and self-consumed, but offensive and good for others and the creation. Because we're not trying to alleviate guilt anymore. We're working from a position of righteousness. We're working from a position of acceptance. And so we don't need to seek the approval of all the quote-unquote cultural gods out there. And so we need... So, so we need approval to know that our lives matter. Okay, And having been approved or justified in Christ, it, is, it, is it legitimate? The question then comes, is it legitimate to seek that approval from others? Because we already know that we desire approval from others. The answer is yes. Okay, and I'm not contradicting what I said. Just hang with me here. The answer is yes. It is legitimate to seek the approval of others, depending on who those people are. Why? Because God has mediated His authority through others. I know I'm approved by God when certain godly people who represent Him tell me I am. It's not simply my feeling, my feeling of acceptance. It is that God has declared certain things about me. Think about it in terms of the sacraments, baptism. This is God's declaration about you. That you belong to Him. But that's mediated. You don't baptize yourself. Somebody else baptizes you. So God is declaring through another that you are His. Absolution. 
God's declaration that your sins are forgiven, whether in public or in private. It's mediated. It's one of the things that I think that uh, there needs to be more of, not only in the Lord's service, but possibly with, with pastors and, and counseling. Why do people, in fact, probably eliminate a lot of counseling. But the fact is, what people come to us for many times is for approval. You know that their sins are forgiven, that they need, that they have, that they have God's approval. This, the the Lord's Supper. It is God. It is God's declaration that being justified by faith, you have peace with God. But that's mediated through His ministers, through a representative. So you depend on the community. Of, you depend upon a community of judges to mediate the judgment of God and tell you that you are in the right. And that's where. Pastors like us have a tremendous responsibility. We, and we have to strive to make right judgments. God has set up judges in your life within the church. You need to trust them and you need to accept their judgments if, number one, they are faithful. And number two, if you're living honestly among them. That is, you're not living some secret life that they don't know about. Because we can't see everything. There are others in our lives who are judges as well. Our parents. You desire your parents' approval. It's a reality. We don't like it when they're disappointed in us or they disapprove of our actions. And we we, will react by either moving into a state of depression or possibly in a state of rebellion. They don't approve of us. It shapes the way we think and live from an early age if we don't have our parents' approval. They are God's representatives to you. And they are what you know of God from your earliest age. And so we need that. That's why you need that. We have friends that we set up as judges. As we grow older and develop friendships, we want to maintain that relationship by being approved by the other person, not falling out of good graces with them so that he or she or they will remain our friend. Our thinking and living will adjust to gain their approval. And so we need to take care whom we consider or count as judges, from whom we should crave approval, from whom we should accept guilt, those whose judgments are telling me what matters and what doesn't matter. Understand, no human has absolute authority to declare to you if you're in the right or in the wrong. Nobody has absolute authority. All human authority is delegated and thus contingent upon whether or not judgments are harmonious with God's declarations. This includes your parents, your pastors, and certainly your friends. So I'm not encouraging you to defy or even always be skeptical. But you will have to think and make judgments yourself. It's not everything on the outside of you telling you. It's a witness between what's going on inside of you and what's going on outside of you. So you do have to think because this is what it means to mature in the faith. You have to have skills of discernment between good and evil, as, as Hebrews 5 talks about. Now, in situations where everybody is wrong, you're the only one that's right, you're probably wrong. Okay? You need to think about that. All right? But there are times we parents and pastors don't judge those under our authority properly. Withholding approval that needs to be given and attributing guilt that is false. 
And so you, you, you do need, you, you're involved in this. You need to make judgments. Those whose judgments you accept should be faithful. As I mentioned earlier, they have proven themselves over time. And you need a superior or a couple of superiors in age and rank and a peer or a couple of peers in your life for this. These people, can, these people make good judgments about their own lives. They have, they have learned from their right and their wrong decisions. And they've righted the ship. Okay? Only a few people in your life should hold this type of influence over you. Because guilt is powerful. Approval is powerful. When you have the approval of these, don't worry about everybody else. Or at least don't give their judgments near as much weight as, as, these couple of, as these few people. If you try to do everything everyone says, you will go mad. Right? You need just a couple of friends, superiors and peers, in this relationship. Now, in what ways does the pursuit of righteousness or pursuit of approval and its distortions manifest itself in our lives? Well, setting up the wrong people as our judges. Like who? Everybody like I just mentioned. Our sinful need for approval can turn, can turn us into people pleasers. There are some who are more prone to that as personalities. It can turn us into people pleasers, never wanting to upset anyone, needing everybody's approval, afraid people won't like you. You, you won't be engaged in what matters because you're always going to be stressed about what everybody else thinks matters. You can't be a people pleaser like that. You can't conform your life to them. It, it distorts itself in distorted community. Creating community that becomes an echo chamber that keeps us feeling approved through affirmation of others in whatever way that happens. For example, likes, retweets, comments. Never being challenged. I remember I was, uh, I knew this guy in college. Found him uh, on Facebook and found out his life had radically changed. He was a very uh, flaming homosexual. I stayed friends with him on Facebook for a while, just watching what was going on in his life, seeing what he was promoting and all these types of things. I made one comment one time because he said something that I just couldn't help myself. Made one comment one time. He cut me off. Because he needs to be in an echo chamber. He needs, he, he needs to have at least a sense of community that has no judge outside of him that can challenge him. We, distorted, community, distorted community can become a problem. We create community sometimes that simply is self-affirming, that is affirming of our sin. So we need to be careful. It also manifests itself in how we treat ourselves. The need for approval, the need of justification can, and, and its distortions can exhibit itself in things such as self-harm. Yeah, and I've been a pastor long enough to know that whenever I speak to a group this large, there is the possibility at least that some have experienced these things. There are things like cutting, bloodletting, Bloodletting is trying to deal with your guilt through pain, shedding your own blood, instead of, instead of accepting and relying upon the blood of Christ. Of course, that's the simple 
kind of explanation for it, but there, and I know that there are a lot of complicating factors you need to deal with, but there are things like that. People want to be approved, and they can't be, and so they harm themselves by cutting. Eating disorders. To be accepted by your judges, you must look a certain way. You must either be anorexic or you're going to try to deal and satisfy your hunger through eating. Substance abuse, and that goes with the eating disorders. <laughs> trying to kill the guilt and destroy yourself. Idolizing some, idolizing some created substance that will deal with your guilt. That tells you you're alright. If I drink enough, I don't feel any pain. Self-harm. Self-righteousness. This would include trying to gain acceptance from God through your works, of course. But we're reformed. We know that ain't so. Alright? But your views, your way of doing things can't be challenged. All others must be looked down upon in order that you may look approved. Being hypercritical. Now that is a problem in reformed circles. Okay? Hypercritical of everyone else because we're trying to justify ourselves. Depression. That sense that I am worthless and I don't matter. Therefore, nothing I do matters. It's a refusal to accept God's declaration of you in Christ. Now, please note this. There are sometimes that there are phys- physiological reasons for depression, and that needs to be examined if you're fighting with this. But sometimes the depression causes the physiological problems and rewires your brain. All right? The answer still may be some medical treatment, but you need to deal with the root problem. But you have judged in depression. You have judged that nothing about you is good. There are some of the distortions. These are some of the distortions of our God-given drive for approval. Alright? So having, but you know that you've been approved by God. Let's get back to that position. Having been approved in Christ already, is there still a need to live in such a way so as to seek the approval of God? And the short answer to that is yes. Approval is only in Christ, in a life in union with Him that is lived by faith, living consistently with the purpose of our creation and our recreation. A life lived contrary to this, a life of unbelief that manifests itself in disobedience, will not be approved. This means that there are certain ways that we should be living so that we are growing in righteousness, so that in the end, at the judgment, we hear, well done, good and faithful servants. God will bring everything into judgment. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. It's not just the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad, in 2 Corinthians 5. As I have established, the foundation of our righteousness is in Christ. We are approved in Him. Justification in Christ alleviated the guilt so that we are empowered and motivated to live truly righteous lives. What you do matters. Being accepted in Christ Jesus doesn't mean that your works are now irrelevant. That's not even good reform theology. There are strange distortions of the biblical doctrine of justification by faith alone that basically say since your, since, our, since your works aren't the foundation for your acceptance before God, they are worthless. All of your works are sinful to one degree or another so they don't mean anything. That's just not true. 
And that's not much of a motivation to do what's right, now, is it? Not that we're seeking justification for motivation to do what's right by twisting Scripture. It's just not motivating. It is clear in Scripture that our justification in Christ puts us in a place to do righteous works, to do that which is acceptable to God. In Romans 6, Paul ta- Paul's takeaway from having died and risen with Christ in baptism is that we now yield, we, we, we need not now yield to the power of sin, but rather we are able to yield our members as instruments of righteousness to God. You were created righteous for the purpose of growing into more and more righteousness, to look more and more like God. Christ provides us the righteousness we need, putting us in the right so that now we can, and put, putting us in a community so that now we can grow in righteousness as God created us to do. So justification frees us to act righteously because we're not always working at alleviating guilt. So what you do in your jobs, in your service in the body of Christ, with your friends, in community, and other things, all matters because they are offered up in Christ. This whole way of thinking is demonstrated in our worship both before and after Christ. God did not call his people to the tabernacle or the temple to say, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the altar I claim. God called his people to bring the produce of their dominion as acts of worship. Animals, grain, wine, oil. Those things don't fall out of the sky. Those things are produced. And they have to be, when they come up to the tabernacle, they come up to the temple, they have to be declared good, approved by the priest in order to be a worthy offering. So we still do this every week in our worship. That's why it's important that you tithe. That's why it's important that you give in the service. And tithes and offerings and the supper, those are all part of our offering up of our dominion work to God. Bread and wine don't fall from heaven. They're products of our dominion. And we eat them with God in Christ and by the Spirit. So, so this, is, this is what we are doing. This is, we are growing in righteousness. So how, how do we do that now? How do we grow in righteousness? How do we work so as to be approved? Pleasing to the Lord, as Paul says in Colossians 1. One fundamental. Do the next right thing. Some of us think way off in the future. we got all these big plans we want to do and we're thinking about the future and it stresses us out. How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? How am I going to... <laughs> do the next right thing. Get up in the morning and do the next right thing. Don't worry about what's too far off in the future. Worry about what's right before you. I'm not saying don't think about the future. But you have to think about where you are right now. Growing in righteousness, also while having vast similarities between men and women, also has some distinctions. And is, dis- and is different as men are from women because we are each created with a distinct purpose. So I want to move into the men and women briefly. These differences shape our hungers, our drives, and certain God-given ways that we should recognize, affirm, and pursue in the right fashion. So how do men grow in righteousness so as to be approved? This again goes back to the fundamentals of what it means to be created male with the vocations that are inherent in our creation. And again, this goes back to those, to those two basic commands. You are to guard, you are to work. And work 
involves production. All right? A man a man's approval usually comes ladies understand this, men understand this, you know this innately, but maybe I'm just helping you put it into words. Man's approval usually comes in the form of respect. We crave respect. We desire that people respect us for who we are and what we have accomplished. And a man who doesn't accomplish things is not respected. And he doesn't respect himself. When Paul deals with husbands and wives in Ephesians 5, it is interesting the way he closes that that whole, that, well, he doesn't close the section there, but he deals with husbands and wives. He says, husbands, love your wives. And see to it, wives, that you respect your husbands. He didn't mean you don't have to love your husband. <laughs> this is the way you love your husband. Is you respect him. Respect is the approval of others in the form of people holding our opinions in high esteem, acknowledging our position, praising our work, and trusting themselves to our leadership. When we don't have respect or the possibility of respect, we lose motivation, whether in working diligently or in a relationship with a woman. If a, if a woman emas- if a woman doesn't respect you, she emasculates you. You, you, don't, you don't want to be around her. You won't want to be around her if she doesn't respect you. Approval in, uh, approval in the form of respect is fundamental to our hunger. It's bound up in our mission to perform the task God has given us to work in provision and protection and producing. That these are not just tasks that are bolted on to our existence as men. Something that we can just kind of, well, this is who we are and this is what we do. This is who we are and this is why we do. Okay? They are, they are the God-given hungers. To have approval, to know that we have done a good job, to have respect, all of this is intertwined with glory and is overlap. That's important to us. Men grow in righteousness as men are protecting, providing, and producing. There is, there is approved, this is approved, this is good in the eyes of God because this is our mission. Now, men, you need to be careful who your judges are in this. Who tells you what's right, who's, what's wrong. Men need, men need others around them. Men need other men, too. Others around them who think biblically and can provide good judgments about what man is, what, what he's doing. Man, that's a good job right there. Or, what are you doing? Stupid. You big galoot, you know you ought not be doing that. You need somebody to talk to you like that. You need another man to talk to you like that. It's not good for ladies to talk to guys like that. But it is good for another guy to talk to a guy like that. Don't do that again. You also need to be careful about all the judges out there in the prevailing popular culture. Politically correct. Again, remember... They turned everything upside down. Masculinity is now simply toxic, and you're somehow not righteous if you're strong, decisive, and aggressive. You're supposed to defer to the woman, letting her take the lead, hearing Christian husbands referring to their wives as the boss, and things such as that is insidious. Infiltration of demasculating men. Society, and sadly many in the church, are promoting that you being a strong leader is wrongheaded and machismo. It is more biblical to be passive in your relationship with ladies. 
And to gain approval from society and from some in the church who have become feminized, we must be soft, mousy, and let women set the course, take the lead, always take the blame, and ask for forgiveness, even if you have to lie about what was actually done. Always take the blame. That's not right. No, you shouldn't. That doesn't, that's not what it means to be a servant leader. I didn't do it. But because I was blamed for it, I'll just go ahead and ask for forgiveness. I'll lay down my life like Jesus laid down it. That's not, that's not that. That's not true. If you haven't done it, don't, there's no need to ask for forgiveness. Okay? That's, you, there has to be truth involved here. By the way, even when you do all this, guys, women still won't approve of you because they know innately you really need to man up. But it can be laid on pretty strong. When you do that, you don't have God's approval either. So what are you doing, young men, to be respectable? Do you think you deserve respect just because you are? I just am. And I need to be respected. Growing in righteousness and gaining respect, approval, you need, you need as a man comes when you're pursuing and accomplishing what God has called you to be as a man. You want God's approval as a male? Develop strength and learn to lead. Develop a clear, as I, as I talked in my last, my last talk, develop a clear, godly mission, be disciplined, and set out to achieve it. Women, I've got to wrap this up. Women grow in righteousness by growing up into their created purposes, females as well. As well. Women, need, women tend to seek approval from men that is usually shown in attention and affection. Daddies, for instance. Daughters love their dad. I bet I can get if I were in a good Baptist church, I could get an eight now. <laughs> Daughters love their daddies. They want approval. <laughs> Former Baptist. Um, but this also translates into trying to get men's attention. It goes back to our original creation. It goes back to the way you're created and oriented. You're oriented toward male leadership. To fight against that is just to fight against what God's created you to be. There's no reason to fight against it. It's to direct it into its proper place, not to distort it. The woman was created from the man for the man. She's created to help him, to aid him in what he's called to do. Her task is oriented by and toward his task. And so to be approved, she must be a good helper in whatever form that takes, fulfilling her role in creation and assisting the man. It's interesting in, the, in Proverbs, the, the women in Proverbs, Harlot Folly and Lady Wisdom, are both trying to entice the man. They're both trying to, quote-unquote, seduce him. They both want to win his affection. The woman wants love the, love, the love of a man, to know that she's accepted and approved by him. And men, you need to understand that. Husbands, love your wives. That is a God-given desire. It's not always able to be fulfilled through marriage, but, but it remains nevertheless. And women can still grow in righteousness and find approval in singleness. I'm not saying it can't be done, but you need to understand your orientation. You need to understand that so that it can be directed properly. I think this is borne out even through the feminist movement, as much as they would despise me for saying it. Much of the whole movement is to simply have the approval of men is to be accepted by men as equals. By which they mean the same. It is to be recognized as just as valuable 
is men by men. Approval from uh, uh, your approval from society comes in the form of this feminist movement. Take the lead. Anything a man can do, a woman can do. Always blame men. Don't take responsibilities for the choices you make. Blame th- blame things on some type of patriarchal or hierarchical power structure that made you do it. You need to be in the workplace to be really doing something that is worthy of approval. This isn't true. Take responsibility for yourself and your choices. Don't blame your bad decisions on some type of oppression. Pursue the character qualities of Lady Wisdom in Proverbs 31 with priceless character. In Proverbs, she does try to win the affections of the young man. Comporting yourself to be attractive to a young man, pursuing him in a feminine way, is following her example. Lady Wisdom's approved character is described in Proverbs 31. Let me summarize just a few things here in in closing. Lady Wisdom is trustworthy. Ladies, anything I've ever said comes across as you, you just need not be strong. You've misunderstood me. Lady Wisdom is strong. Her strength is directed, it's purposed, but she's strong. She can be relied upon. She's faithful. Her hus- the heart of her husband safely trusts in her. She's a rock. You're not a Victorian china cup who crumbles under pressure. Lady Wisdom is industrious. She works. Her work takes a different shape than the man's, but it, it complements it. In, and in places overlaps it because they are oriented toward the same goal. You're not made simply for social media, tea parties, and shopping, living a life of non-working leisure. You are created to work. And wherever you are right now in life, don't just sit around and wait for the future. Let a man intrude upon you and interrupt your life of working for the kingdom. But be interruptible. Okay? Don't say, hey, I ain't got time for you. I got work to do. I got a career. I got all this stuff to do. Be interruptible. Lady Wisdom is benevolent. She cares for others and doesn't get sucked into thinking that single life is all about living for yourself until you get tied down and take on responsibility. Learn how to do good to and for others. Learn how to care for a family because that's what Lady Wisdom does. She's oriented toward her family. Help family and, uh, and or other families for the sake of for the sake and for you, for their sake and for yours. Lady Wisdom adorns herself well. I covered this in glory, so I'm not going to deal with it here, but you are the image of God. Represent him well in every way. This is the woman that will be called blessed, not only by husband and children, possibly, but also by her God. We all desire approval, believe and live so as to be approved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for once again for all that you give us. And I pray that as we deal with all of you, that you would let truth sink into our hearts and what I've said in error, that it would escape us and keep us the rest of this day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.